Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Terrence Malagone. Our guest this week is a familiar one. It's John Oran, the sports media writer for Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. And we're going to do about uh, 30, 35 minutes or so just around the horn what is current on uh, some sports media topics. John, welcome back to the uh, podcast. Thanks for having me, Richard. Always happy to come on. Yeah, John, you've been doing a lot of other podcasts, my competition. So it's great to have you back. And uh, apparently you've uh, I worked with your agent. And I was able to get you back on, so it's it's exciting for me. Half podcast will travel. Open for business. <laughs> no doubt. All right. So let's talk <laughs> let's talk about NFL viewership. Um last year's viewership, John, regular season was up roughly five percent from the year prior. And they gained back some of the viewership losses, obviously, that they had. Uh the specific numbers if I'm looking at my notes here, and this is from the NFL, and we'll, we'll sort of take them at their word in terms of, like, defined numbers. Uh, NFL games averaged 15.76 million across CBS, ESPN, Fox, NBC, and the NFL Network in 2018, up from 14.96 million in 2017, but still down from 16.5 million um, two years ago. So... That's sort of like the jumping off point, John, to this little conversation. Um, what do you expect this year? And there's going to be a lot of variables and stuff, but if you had to sort of, if you had to take your best crystal ball, NFL ratings up, down, or neutral this year? Uh, I'm going to say that they're going to be up, and I, for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, all It's all been trending up. They, the uh, NFL draft was up. You know, what they've been doing at the Combine has been up. And they're just these storylines right now that I think are really resonating, particularly like, you know, in Cleveland is a big, hot team. Um, Chicago is a market where the team is expected to do well. Um, and I just think that there's there's been a lot of interest, and and they're, they're pretty good storylines that suggest that uh, the networks are going to be pretty happy this season. Before we get into some of those storylines, John, do you consider the exhibition season any kind of marker for what might be coming in the regular season? Oh, yeah, completely. I completely do. I think that, you know, that, that, that's all part of the fan interest that, that sort of builds up into it. So that these, these exhibition games, it, it's easy to dismiss because they mean nothing. But they still rate higher than any regular season game in any other sport. I mean, so the pe- it still draws a lot of people, and that to me uh, tells uh, shows the interest in it. Yeah, it's amazing, John. The uh, I think it was Sports Media Watch who put out like a stat about uh, last year's Hall of Fame game beating like you know essentially like two hundred and twenty six uh, or so out of like two hundred and forty five sporting events of the year. Um, that's like something like that just shows you just the ultimate dominance of the NFL when it comes to viewership. Yeah, I mean, everybody laughs at the NFL Pro Bowl, and 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 the even the NFL takes a look at the Pro Bowl and says, like, God, we have we've got to do something about it. But the the ratings for that Pro Bowl beat any other All Star game, and and they uh, uh, they're you know any other league would want that for for just a regular season game, and it's dismissed by the NFL and by fans as as being really. Insubstantial. Yeah, no, it's not. The Pro Bowl is a great property. Uh, it's never going to end, and every single network that airs football 
would want it because it's going to win the night and it's going to win it big. You mentioned, um, and this is something that you reported last year when you talked to all the network executives who uh, are part of the networks that air f- that air games, and their thoughts in terms of why viewership was up. Big stars drove the league, close games of which there were many last year, and matchups matter. Um, so my initial instinct, John, would be that I think too that the the ratings will tick up this year, but. I guess the only caveat I would say is last year there really were an extraordinary number of close, tight games, and a lot of that came early, which I thought sort of built the momentum up for the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're guessing on ratings for the season here in, in the beginning of August. I mean, so, so if they start out with a bunch of blowouts, if a bunch of their big stars get hurt, yeah, everything can, uh, can, can go crazy. But one of, the, uh, one of the things that you didn't mention, and one of the reasons it's often cited by some executives as, as for why the ratings went up last year, is a competitive team in Chicago. When was the last time the Bears were competitive? And all of a sudden, they, they, you know, getting that entire market engaged. And once the market becomes engaged, it's not just Bears ratings that go up. It's the entire league that they start to take a look at. You had in, uh, in L.A., even though there, there isn't a huge amount of support yet, but you had a team that went to the Super Bowl. So, like, in the second biggest TV market, you know, uh, th- things, are, things are trending well. New York, uh, we'll have to see, you know, but um, uh, that, that, that probably isn't going to be good. But, um, but there are really significant markets that when they do well on, on TV – it it it, help, it helps the ratings for the entire uh, for the entire country. Absolutely. So th- I, this is, there are two teams I want to bring up, and you mentioned one of them, the Rams, obviously, um, who have uh, you know they're a great television team because of their offense. Los Angeles is still an odd market in terms of viewership. It never really delivers what the population is, but it's still the number two market in the country, and you're going to get a good population. John, I think the a lot of um, you, one team is not, you know, the NFL ratings are not dependent on one team. But what I would say is if the Browns have a good year, I think the NFL is going to have a good year. They're on primetime, I believe, four times. They have um, some of the most exciting players in football with Baker Mayfield, uh, Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. And I think, and this is just sort of a theory that I've always had, there are far more Browns fans across the country than I think most NFL fans realize. It's a historic team. They've been dormant for a long time. But I think there are a lot of people like whose parents were Browns fans, and they may have passed that on to them in different cities. And if they ever get good, and I think they're going to be good this year, I think they're going to draw some pretty significant ratings. Yeah, uh, winning helps. But I, uh, I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't think they need to be good. I just think that they need to be interesting. And right now, you mentioned uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., they're interesting. So if they are a spectacular failure this year on, on the field, there's still, there's still a storyline there that's going to almost be a must-watch. I mean, that the worst thing that could happen to the Browns from a television standpoint is that they become boring. Yeah, I'll tell you, John, a market that both of us know from our years of covering this stuff that is incredible when it comes to sports is Buffalo. It always sort of over-indexes its um, population base and – could you imagine if the Bills ever got good, what the what the numbers could be from that city, particularly like the local numbers? Oh, boy, yeah. I mean, I, I do these ratings all the time for the Sabres. And, uh, you, you know better than I do off the top of my head. When's the last time the Sabres made the, uh, the NHL playoffs even? Yeah, it's and been a while. The, the, they're always one of the top two teams in terms of local TV ratings. The, the, the amount of support that Buffalo gives 
their hometown teams uh, from a television standpoint is is really uh, it's really unique. John, do you have any kind of sense as to how you think college football will do? Um, the the thing about college football that I think is is always sort of tricky to figure out in terms of you know like national interest. One, it's a very regional sport, of course, but you know you it's very matchup driven in terms of the games that are going to you know you know certain games are going to draw well. Um, many of them involve Ohio State. Many of them involve Alabama. Many of them involve Michigan. But the one thing that the sport could use more of, and this is sort of just where um, we don't get four-year players anymore, is sort of continuity. You know, we don't always have a lot of, like, um, stars coming back, per se, to college football. So that's always a tricky one for me to figure out, you know, what will do well. Like, I know for sure Michigan-Ohio State is going to rock, and especially if the two teams are good. And Ohio State will always draw phenomenal viewership in its marquee games. But it's always hard for me in August, John, to get a real feel nationally of how college football will do in a given year. What about you? Yeah, what's the Seinfeld line? You know, you always root for the laundry. I, th- I just think college football has these huge football brands, and the football brands go beyond the schools. So it's more than like Alabama and Florida and, and LSU and Georgia. It's, it's the SEC, and it's more than Ohio State and the, and Michigan and Penn State. It's it's the Big Ten, and so they. I just think that there are these brands that you know the ratings can tick up or the ratings can tick down. But but they're going to get a huge outside of the NFL. They're going to blow away the, the the ratings, really for any other sport. But what I'm looking at uh, in in the college area is Fox is is doing this uh, new strategy where they're going to put their best college football game on at noon on Saturday. Right. And so uh, part of the reason why they did that is there's too much competition for them in prime time, and there's too much competition sort of in late afternoon with good games. So what what this what can happen with this now is from noon through prime time you're going to get some really quality good games whereas before in the noon time slot you might have seen you know and not to disparage my own university but Maryland Minnesota or some some sort of game like that 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 you know only a re, there would only be you know regional interest in now you're going to get really good games and it's going to be curious to see whether that hurts ratings. Uh, um, down the line later in the day because you're just there's too much or whether it just sort of helps build the ratings down the day. I, I just think it's going to be pretty neat, neat to see. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think obviously it'll, it, it certainly will increase Fox's window early, 12 to 3. You do wonder, though, what kind of impact that has on the Fox late game, uh, you know, depending on what the, the matchup is. That does bring me, John, to a story that you guys uh, at Sports Business Daily and Journal have been all over, and that's the potential for – uh, 9 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs in the Pac-12. <laughs> um, here's my sort of quick take on this. L- f- one, it's just outrageous to ask athletes, I think, to play in those games. Um, once again, the NCAA is an absolute fraud, and schools that claim these are student-athletes, um, it's total BS. They're athletes slash students, and that is what they are if you're asking college football players to play a 9 a.m. game, which means they're up at whatever, 6 a.m., and and all that stuff. Two, I think it's outrageous to ask stu- the student body to go to a nine o'clock game on a Saturday after a Friday night. I mean, come on. I mean, that that's just, you know, again, just ridiculous. Now, the reason the Pac-12, of course, is thinking about this is because of viewership and exposure. And here's my third reason I think it's a really bad idea. I don't necessarily buy, John, that if there's a good West Coast game, you know, let's say I'm making this up, USC-Stanford, 
airing at 12 Eastern on Fox or somewhere else. I, I'm not. Do you think that like if you live in Wisconsin or Michigan or Ohio or Florida, like you're going to switch your regional affiliation to watch that that you know sort of like quality West Coast game? I I, I don't know if I buy it. I get that the the Pac-12 is struggling with their late night viewership and exposure, but I I don't think it's a guarantee. Uh, that the rest of the country is going to be interested in these games just because they're at 12, uh, 12 Eastern time kickoff. How do, how do you see this? Yeah, a part of me applauds Larry Scott for trying to think outside the box. But uh, this, it, it's funny to talk about because it will never happen. So what, I mean, let's, let, between the two of us, let's come up with the most marquee game, uh, Pac-12 game. It would be what, USC-UCLA? I mean, could you imagine taking a, a, a game, maybe, or, or the, 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 there, there might be others, but could you imagine taking that game, the most marquee game you have, and putting it locally in a window that's going to get, get the least amount of viewers and, and get the least amount of attendance? And it, it, it just, it, it's something that is, is fun to talk about and fun to bandy about. There's almost no chance that that's going to work, and it, it, it it can only work if they do it. It would only work for the marquee games because Fox has already said we're only putting the best games on and, uh, at, at noon uh, Eastern time. So it's not like you can take sort of a mid-level Pac-12 game or, or one of the weaker Pac-12 games. Fox has no interest in that. It would have to be the best game coming out of the Pac-12, and, and I, I just can't see them doing that. John, what are your thoughts on either Chris LaPlock or Terry Hines doing a 9 a.m. conference call for sports media writers? Do you like that time, or do you want that later? In the I want it, Well, that would be 6 a.m. for Terry Hines. So I, I, I don't see that happening either, Richard, for goodness sakes. And you are very tight with Fox's, uh, Fox's communication chief, so you would have insight into that. But, yeah, I mean, that if Terry Hines is doing a 6 a.m. Uh, conference call with reporters from her Los Angeles palatial estate, that's dedication to Eric Shanks and the job. And, you know, I'm not sure that's – I mean, I know you, but you probably like Fox, but that, that's, that's maybe liking Fox too much, John, so I'm with you. Make those conference that, that calls. That only means that Eric Shanks is over, like, in Paris with the, the women's soccer team or something like that. That's, a, that, that, that's an impossibility, Richard. For, uh, John, I realize this is a tangent, but let me just tell you something. Uh, I saw uh, Jimmy Pitaro and Connor Shell in Toronto um, when the NBA Finals uh, were taking place here in my new fine city. What a boondoggle this is for these executives. I, I realize they have, you know, they got to negotiate contracts and rights deals and, you know, they, they got a lot of business to attend. But th- how great a gig is it when you could basically travel to any of these events, uh, hobnob on the floor with all the movers and shakers, get to watch the game quick, and then take off? That I mean, when you reach that level of sort of sports television executive – uh, that is a. Am I not correct? That is a boondoggle and a half. My favorite is uh, the people that go for Super Bowl week and then leave before the game when they have access to the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I would love to get to that position to where I'm actually leaving before the Super Bowl takes place. But yeah, I'm with you. Super, 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 super. By the way, and, and we, Connor yeah. Shell, the NBA would have completely noticed had they stayed in Bristol, Connecticut. Like they, 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 each of the leagues for their big championship games. Always take note of which executives show and which executives don't, and that matters when those those rights fees come up and they start doing those deals. So it's a little more. There is a business case behind the boondoggle, but boy, yeah, that 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 is a great perk of the job. By the way, John, don't say anything 
about politics or race or social issues. I don't want to have to suspend you on this uh, on this podcast. Not going to do it. Not going right. to do it. All right. But, John, I will say this. You do make a great point because a lot of, I mean, in all seriousness, part of their jobs are to absolutely interact with the league presidents and commissioners because that is the job per se. You're obviously, you're always trying to sort of set your uh, network or company up to to be a rights uh, holder. The other thing, John, which um, I know for sure when these guys, when these executive types uh, land in one of these events, they do take it as a... Um, as an opportunity to meet their talent and to, if nothing else, hobnob with their top talent, tell their top talent they're doing well. And I think that's smart. That's good business. So if you know, if you're Jimmy Pitaro, you know, you hang, you go over to Mike Breen, Mark Jackson, Doris Burke, Jeff Van Gundy, spend a little time with them, you know, maybe, maybe grab a quick drink or something like that. That's, you know, that, that is a part of this job as well as to interact with your top talent, let's be honest, to, to try to retain top talent. Yeah, w- w- without question. I mean, there, there's so many different tentacles there, and it becomes sort of the, the roving, uh, you know, the roving office up there. Yeah, John, um, again, if you ever come up to Toronto, uh, you're welcome to stay at uh, my abode. You don't have to even get a hotel on like Pataro or Connor Shell. I'm happy to put you up on, the fl- on one of the... Uh, Rooms. You may have some, uh, you know, you may have some young kids basically waking you up very, very early. But otherwise, it's a nice. It'll be a nice day for you. Do you do you give out Marriott points? Because I'd be happy to. Mm, we'll get you some Tim Hortons Timbits. I don't know if we get Marriott <laughs> points. We'll, Deal we'll, done. We'll, we'll work on that. All right, baseball. Uh, I think. T- t- by the way, if this is not your story, it's certainly your publication story. But you guys dropped not too long ago, kind of a large scale look at where the local baseball ratings were this year. And what you found was that some of the biggest markets, the bigger RSNs in baseball had dropped. Am I, is that, am I correct? That that's, that's you guys who did that, right? Yeah, that was, our, that was our story. And I was like, you know, the Yankees who are doing really well are getting uh, killed in the ratings from on yes network and the Red Sox, you know, they're, they're battling for a playoff position. They're, they're getting uh, pretty much destroyed in the, uh, in, in, in the local TV ratings. But what's always amazing to me, I mean, we mentioned Buffalo and, and, and the Sabres earlier. I, went to, I was in Cleveland, talk about a boondoggle. I went to the All-Star game in Cleveland, and um, just watching, and, and the All-Star game the year before was here in D.C., and in D.C., which isn't even a, a, that, that big of a town, kind of swallowed the All-Star game. There, it, there wasn't a, it, it didn't have really a super big event feel here in D.C. In Cleveland, that entire city and that entire market just just supported the All Star Game like I didn't see the year before, and I think that the people that I talk to say you know, the same thing in St. Louis and the same thing in Kansas City, and there are these big Midwestern towns that uh, that just have such a fervency of support for not only their teams, but then when they host a crown jewel event for one of the leagues, they you know they they want to do right by their city and 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 uh, and support it and i just think it's uh, it's something that's really unique and it's something that i see every time i do uh, pull out those uh, those local rsn ratings because those you know i think st louis has supported the cardinals to such an extent that they've been in the top 3 for like the past at least 5 years probably probably more than that i mean it's uh, and it doesn't matter whether the Cardinals are doing well on the field or not, they just there's a fervency of a uh, of support there that you don't get on either of the coast. You certainly don't get in L.A. You don't get in D.C. and you're obviously not getting now in in, uh, in New York. I would think that you got it more in Boston, but I mean there there 
battling for the playoffs, and, and you know the team isn't resonating in Boston for some reason. So, John, one of the big drops, or two of the big drops, were Texas Rangers games on Fox Sports Southwest and Giants, San Francisco Giants games on NBC Sports Bay Area. They were both down 30%, more than 30% when you guys did this report in late July. Like, can that only be uh, attributed to play on the field, or is it something deeper in those markets? But that... Like, I can understand, like, occasionally if, like, teams are, like, really bad, you know, like, teams become like the Orioles or the, you know, or the Blue Jays, and both of us are living living with that this year. Like, I get it. If you drop significantly, interest is going to go down. But, like, that 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 is very curious to me um, because, you know, like, in the Giants' case, they're not good, but they're not bottom dwellers, but yet they've dropped precipitously. Uh, Rangers have dropped really, really big since 2012. Is this... Is this a larger problem for baseball, or just you'd have to dive deep into these individual markets to figure it out? By the way, R- Richard, I, I do not want to get into politics with you, but I, I do want to say something nice about Baltimore, which is uh, that team is on pace to lose more than 110 games. They're historically bad by Baltimore baseball standards, and ratings there have been generally flat. I think they're, they, they're only down about wow. 3%, awesome. which, which, which is amazing. Um, I, it, it's always difficult to take. A, I mean, when you see thirty percent, it's something to, to to pay attention to. But you, you, I really look more for you know the two or three year trend to, to see what, what what's happening there. And you know Nielsen as well as I do. I, I I always suspect that like when I see when I see a rating go down that that far, part of it's a play on the field, but part of it sometimes I think is like Nielsen swapped out a a, a sports fan for a non-sports fan as part of their sample, you know, and, and, and sometimes that's, uh, that, that's the effect that happens there. Um, but it, there could be a million reasons there. I would be careful about doing like, cause what we did was a half season rating. Let's take a look at the full season rating and then, and then take a look at like, uh, you know, two or three years, uh, past or two or three years forward and, and check it out there. And I, I don't have those numbers at my fingertips. Okay, so now we'd let's to go nationally really quick. So interestingly enough, Sunday night baseball as we talk is up. Uh, it's up because that last Red Sox Yankee game that was on um, drew like a crazy amount of viewers. Maybe crazy is a little too strong. Drew a really healthy amount of viewers, and thus ESPN Sunday night baseball now is up one percent for the year. So much of this, of course, is matchup driven. John, you get as many Red Sox Yankee games as you can. I know they have a couple more left, so it's very possible Sunday night baseball. By the way, which I will say in terms of watchability is very hard to watch, in my humble opinion, um, it is going to be up. And so, what do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that the national package, or at least the most prominent regular season national package, is going to be up this year? Uh, I think that that speaks well for for baseball, and I think it speaks well for uh, uh, you know, like you said, ESPN. I think they ended up with more uh, Red Sox Yankee games, and I know the rest of the country generally hates that, but it, it brings in good ratings, and yep. so you know, the, that that generally helps. But uh, it's it the the one thing that that I always find interesting about TV ratings is there were I forget who played, and you, you can help me out here. There was a game that went six hours long and it went into extra innings. It might've been a Red Sox Yankee game. And, uh, the ratings for that were through the roof. I don't know one baseball fan that wants to sit through six, six and a half hours, even of a tight game, but the ratings suggest that more people do. So it's a, you know, baseball's trying to get uh, younger baseball's trying to shorten the length of their games, 
But then uh, by, by the same token, that big, long game probably brought in the, the highest ratings on, on, on uh, Sunday Night uh, Baseball this season. So it's a, it's a conundrum there that, that, that's uh, interesting to look at. Yeah, and again, if you, are, if you are ESPN, you have to do as many Red Sox-Yankee games as you can. Hit the, the historical numbers don't lie. I realize there are people who say there's too many Red Sox-Yankee games on, and I'm sure you're not wrong. If you're like, you live in Chicago or L.A. or Miami, you are correct. But the reality is the viewership numbers are great for those matchups, and you'd be insane if you're a programmer, if you're ESPN, not to put that uh, there because it's going to guarantee you audience, which ultimately is going to guarantee you advertising revenue. I will say, though, John, uh, I know you you don't comment on this stuff uh, as much as I do, but uh, that baseball broadcast is very, very hard to listen to. Um, it, it is it, The production is certainly high quality, so it's nothing about the director, the director and the producer, but... Uh, that broadcast is really set up essentially to be the Alex Rodriguez show. It is there's so much commentary, so much talk. In my opinion, they don't let the broadcast breathe, and it doesn't really work. Conversely, I think Ken, uh, I think Chris Singleton and John Shambi are phenomenal as an ESPN radio broadcast. And to me, uh, if I had my ideal druthers, they would be the main they would be the main broadcast for ESPN. Now they're not going to be as sexy as A Rod Mendoza. And Vascursion, but they do they do a phenomenal job. If you've ever happened to listen to them on ESPN Radio, it's a really good broadcast. I will say this: I see more complaints about that Sunday night uh, baseball uh, broadcast. I see it uh, on social media, and I and I hear it from uh, from friends. So it's a uh, it, it is one that that I, I would bet you that uh, ESPN after this season does something to try to shake it up a little bit. Hello, John Ben Cafardo here. I heard your comments on the uh, podcast about Sunday night baseball. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, oh, Ben. I was just agreeing with Richard. That's all. <laughs> yes. Let's go. That'd be great if A-Rod called you. John Alex Rodriguez <laughs> here. I'd like to come down to uh, your office and chat. Well, right. I'm an Oriole fan. I'll take that one gladly. Richard. <laughs> I know John, hopefully one day the Orioles and the Blue Jays will, will rise again. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll see. The Blue Jays got some. Yeah, uh, they'll always have 1989, right? This, the, who, this. the why not year. Yeah, well, and a couple, a couple of good, good battles with Buck Showalter actually in the in the twenty fifteens and sixteens. Um, all right, last topic here is the PGA Tour rights. I mean, this is your story. You, this you have. This is. I feel like this is a this is a John O'Ran special. You don't want uh, you don't want McCarthy or Marshand or Ben Strauss or anybody touching this. This is this is O'Ran's taking this one from from stretch to drive. So PGA Tour rights currently reside with CBS, NBC, and the Golf Channel. But, as you have done extensive reporting on, John, maybe this changes. And maybe the PGA Tour is thinking about some kind of interesting split rights. But here's the one that really gets interesting. Warner Media, according to your reporting, has told the PGA Tour that it would consider converting one of its existing TV channels, this is essentially the Turner world here with Warner Media, into a golf-focused one, but only if it winds up with the PGA Tour rights that are currently being negotiated. Those rights are up, or the next round of rights come up in 2021. Top-line question, John. Um, where's all the stand right now? And, and what kind of odds do you put on the PGA Tour doing something dramatic in terms of where golf fans will see this after 2021? Well, this is why this story is, is so fascinating to me. is because the rights aren't up until the end of 2021, the PGA Tour has decided that they're going right now and they're going to negotiate right now. So there's, a, there's potential that by the, they want to have a new deal in place by the end of this year, which means that there's potential that CBS, 
and or NBC and or Golf Channel could be lame duck broadcasters for two full years, which is uh, which you've rarely seen. Um, uh, Warner Media, as you said, is are making a, a really a big pitch. Um, AT and T, which owns Warner Media, Randall Stevenson is on uh, a bunch of sort of PJ Tour type boards, so that they have some some inroads there. They, they they're launching an HBO direct-to-consumer streaming service that, that they're going to want to put sports on, so they have a, a place uh, for it there. Uh, ESPN, now that John Skipper is no longer with ESPN, they want to get back into the golf game, so they're kicking the tires, and they have ESPN Plus that they're trying to uh, uh, put a bunch of stuff on. Um, DJ Tour is completely enamored and fascinated by Amazon because of the different like digital um, packages that Amazon can do. I mean, imagine if you if you're a Brooks Kepka fan, you know you can pay potentially like you know five bucks a month, and you can see every single shot that 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 he has in every single tournament. You know, it's a, so there are different ways that they can see packaging games if they go to a digital uh, company like like Amazon. But if I because they're going early. Um, two years early. If, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to bet that, that that they're not going to do anything overly unusual, and that they're they're going to stick with their incumbents. Because uh, I, I, I just, mainly I can't just I just can't imagine. Can you imagine two years? NBC is not going to be marketing those tournaments. They're not not going to be spending money to pr- produce those tournaments. You know, as, as well as they would if if they were going to be a long term partner. And I just, I just can't see them making that making that move. So, but but NBC and CBS will have to you know step up and pay. So that, uh, that that'll be interesting to see. John, do you how would you view the PGA Tour as a kind of a property? Um, it's obviously not the NFL, and it's not March Madness, and you know some of the other massive NBA, et cetera. But uh, it, it golf is interesting to me because like. You know, there are times, especially when Tiger is playing well, that it's 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 really has potential for phenomenal viewership. Then there are other weeks where it just it doesn't feel like uh, it doesn't feel like sort of culturally of the moment. That said, I get it. There are always going to be millions of golf fans who are going to watch weekly. But what, like overall, do you uh, where would you rank this property if you could? You know, sort of throughout the sports rights universe. I'm not sure. That's a good question. I'm not sure where I would rank it, but I think it's great. I think that they're they're sitting pretty right now, and they're going to collect a huge increase in in rights fee yep. because of a, a a couple of reasons. One is they just have so much content. They have all the all the uh, PGA Tour events. They have the LPGA. They have the um the, the uh, oh god, what's it called? The it used to be called the WebGet.com Tour. They have the, the the senior the champions tour. They have all the all, all this content that all these direct to consumer um, players want to have, and so that that works out well. And if you d- dive down into the audience that watches golf, yes, it's a little bit old, but it's rich, and and they have disposable income, and advertise the advertisers want to reach those uh, those people. So it's um I I think that. As far as a TV property, there's a reason that all these networks are circling trying to get, trying to get these rights. Yeah, major major demos uh, in terms of the cash demos that are very very attractive to uh, advertise. All right, last one for me, John. I told you to get you out of here in about 35 minutes. We'll let you go. Something that really uh, uh, has been pretty impressive to me, just in terms of the push from ESPN, is the ESPN Plus uh, ESPN Plus push 
for Peyton's Places, the documentary series fronted by Peyton Manning um, that I think Connor Shell told you is ESPN's most significant original content bet that they've done to date for ESPN uh, Plus. They, I, I, to their credit, if you like this content, they have really like pushed that mainstream. And I would imagine if they are successful in terms of either getting people to sign up or whatever their proprietary numbers are on Plus for this series, I think we may see more of these, you know, kind of large scale bets where they throw down some serious money to try to, to try to do something on ESPN Plus that's really unique. Yeah, and it gets them in with the, with with the athletes too. Like yep. they they, cause they did something there with uh, LeBron James as well, and I think uh, you know Kobe Bryant. I think had a uh, had a series that went on that um, that went on ESPN Plus. Yes, he did. So I think it, it works at it with that. But what what really uh, surprised not surprised me. What I'm most interested about with the, the Peyton's place is I always dismiss the idea of Peyton Manning being a Monday Night Football you know, analyst. I, I just, I didn't think, think he wanted to do it. I think there are other sort of higher profile areas that, that, that he could have gone, but Peyton Manning. Now this is probably the third thing that he's done with, with ESPN uh, over the past couple of years. So, I mean, they've, they've been establishing a relationship with this guy that, you know, let, let's just, let's speculate that ABC ends up with a, with a primetime package, you know, could that entice uh, Peyton Manning to do it? I, I think that, you know, ESPN is certainly setting the, the the roads there for for that to happen and and developing that relationship. That's a very very. For, first of all, we should mention Kobe Bryant's show is detail on ESPN Plus, but the, that is a really smart take, John. I totally agree with you that usually how these relationships happen, John. You know this as well as I do. Uh, how high profile athletes get in the booth is is it's all personal relationships. They. They interact with a, a president or vice president of a network. They get comfortable with these people. But the best way to do this, of course, is just to have a relationship with the athlete in terms of one of their pet projects. It would be the same thing with LeBron or, or Kobe or anybody else. I would, I, I don't expect Peyton Manning to ever take the Monday Night Football job if it's um, on ESPN. But if ABC gets a rights package, my thinking changes. I, I'm with you well, on that. This, also, this is the main reason, Richard, why you and I don't think – Tony Romo is going to leave CBS. Like even if somebody else offers more money, it's because you know he, he came in with these guys, he got comfortable with these guys, and he knows and likes these guys. You know, and, yep. and, and so it's a uh, that, that that plays a that plays a large part in this. All right, John. Is there anything else uh, we need to cover before you before I let you go? You got any any uh, any any uh, vacation coming up to interesting places? Uh, Bethany Beach, Delaware, going down the shore, hon. Oh, I like that. I like that. I, uh, my baseball team is on on pace to lose 110 games, so I, I have nothing to add to this, Richard. Sorry. Yeah, Blue Jays getting healthy on the Orioles. By the way, watch out for the Blue Jays uh, young players. Got a good young base of hitters. I know the pitching is a mess, but uh, Bichette, Guerrero, Gurriel, Jansen, uh, they, they got an Biggio. They got an interesting team coming, I feel like, offensively in a couple of years. So, uh, But almost, uh, as you know, Beating the Yankees and the Red Sox in that division is just, you know, it is just hard as hell, basically. It's tough. It is tough. All right. John Orand is uh, America's foremost uh, something. What do you want to be America's foremost? Chef? Um, Media reporter? Oh, well, How about Orioles fan? I'll do that. Orioles fan. All right. right? John Orand, in all seriousness, name? he is the media fine media reporter for Sports Business Journal and Sports Business Daily. He also has the, if you are a subscriber to 
those publications. He puts out a newsletter with Michael Smith um, uh, twice a week. That's really, really good. Uh, gives John a chance to be a little more conversational in his writing, and uh, it's great. Cannot recommend that more highly. I've really, really enjoyed that. Uh, John, thanks as always for joining me on the uh, Sports Media Podcast. You will definitely be back again, probably around as we start to kick off the regular season for football. And uh, continued success with your work. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, R.D. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, back in the studio. My thanks as always to John Orand. Uh, probably has been on this podcast about as much as uh, anyone with, uh, along with Jim Miller. Uh, and Ann Burke has been on this podcast a lot as well. Uh, speaking of Jim Miller, if you're interested in previous editions of this podcast, James Andrew Miller and Jim Trotter, the week uh, last week, on Dan Lebertard and uh, ESPN. Um, thank you for listening to that. The, the numbers on that were really, really good. So much appreciated. Uh, before that, we had a boxing roundtable with Mike Coppinger and Lance Pugmire on how boxing is covered in 2019. So if you're a boxing fan, I think you'd find that interesting. For that, Conrad Thompson and Chris Herring. Uh, Chris Herring um, at 538. Conrad Thompson, of course, is the most successful wrestling podcaster in this country. And then before that, Bob Lee for a 50-minute exit interview on uh, his life and times at ESPN. Please just head down the list of uh, the archives. Um, we're uh, approaching 70 episodes on this new version, the Post Sports Illustrated version. And, uh, you know, if you're into this content, you should find something on there that you, you really, really like, and I hope at least. And so uh, listen, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. That's essentially how this thing stays um obviously uh you know i gotta let cadence 13 know that people are into it and uh and, and that's how you can that's how they know all right so for terrence malagone for everybody at uh, cadence 13 for their support for all of you out there who've listened and uh, supported this podcast i thank you very much and uh we will see you soon on the sports media with richard dutch podcast